everybody. Welcome to the export. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am very interested to see his feelings on this weekend's Titans and Jags game. How confident are you in your Titans to make it back to the playoffs? Yeah, I hear you. I think right now, I was just looking at the draft order. I think right now y'all have the 11th overall pick. So, I mean, is it the worst thing in the world not to get the pick right outside the top 10? Who knows? But, of course, we got a pretty cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to discuss our thoughts on the DeMar Hamlin situation. Of course, as always, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. We are going to make our final uh, playoff predictions because there's about three or four spots left across the AFC and NFC. And then with regards to the NBA, we are currently going to discuss the Zion Williamson injury and how that impacts the Pelicans, as well as the progress he has made so far this season. Before we get to any of that, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. For each episode to our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in with the DeMar Hamlin situation. For those of you who, honestly, I'm sure all of you know and have seen the video, but during Monday night's game between the uh, Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, DeMar Hamlin, backup safety for the team, went up to make a tackle on Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Routine tackle, something we've seen a million times before. He gets up, rattles his helmet like he's fine. Next thing you know, he collapses. After spending several minutes receiving CPR from medical staff um, at the stadium, He's taken to University of Cincinnati's hospital. The game is suspended. Probably, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to get played. And that is currently where he is now. While it seems with each passing day, there are more updates with regards to his condition. And I believe he's still in the ICU. But it seems like he's beginning to breathe normally on his own. So it's clear that progress is being made. But I mean, Ethan, this has been an absolute whirlwind uh, around, I can't even just say football, but around all of sports over these past few games, just what were your initial reactions when you found out about this and how have things kind of changed for you, if at all, since then? student-athlete, they weren't able to resuscitate him and provide 
thing because, like, out of nowhere, I wasn't even watching the game. Me and my wife were watching a movie, and I just, like, randomly checked Twitter before you, like, before we started texting. And, like, my Twitter was like, oh, my God, this can't be real. What just happened? And so I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going on? And then you showed me the footage. Like, you sent me the, um, the play itself, and I watched it. And I'm like, bro, this man... NFL field and like the reality is that is what happened like he went into cardiac arrest he essentially died but they were able to resuscitate him and bring him back um so like a part of my initial reaction I went like I went into dad mode and immediately was like yeah my son's never playing football um because I was already on the fence about my son potentially playing the sport of football because um, just of all of the CTE things that have gone on and just kind of like the rising, the rising concern of like physical health that's associated with football players. So I was on the fence and I was more so like, if my son like genuinely says he wants to play, I will let him play, but it'll be hard. But after seeing that, at least for the time being, I'm, I'm at a, So I was watching the game and I was on the phone with a friend of mine, like simultaneously playing Madden and trying to look at Monday Night Raw. Um, and so when it happened, right, at first it was just like, oh, dang. But I mean, unfortunately, like as football fans and sports fans in general, like you get used to seeing somebody go down, right? That that becomes not that deep. But when I knew it was that serious was, you know, typically when players do get hurt, when they cut away the commercial and come back, the cameras are still on them. Right, you see the uh, medical personnel helping them out, and they getting put on the stretcher, all of that. But the fact was, like the cameras for ESPN were, like they were very far from the stadium. Like you couldn't see nothing on the field except for the ambulance. And I'm like, well, dang, when was the last time I actually saw an ambulance come out onto the field? And the only the close up footage that you could see was the reaction of Bills and Bengals players, and you seeing Bengals players crying. And so that's when I was like, nah, this is. This is actually something serious. And so as I was on the phone with my friend and like before I really knew the severity of it, like that's scary and that's crazy. But I was like, there's no way the NFL is going to close this game. Like there's no way it's going to end. Like there's too much on the line for this game to end. And my friend was like, nah, because the players and the coaches, they may not want to do it. And I was like, the NFL is going to want them to play. And so you fast forward a little bit. Um, I think like 20 real minutes had passed or whatever, and the uh, rest were going to the team's like, all right, I got five minutes to like warm up before we get back to the game. And so I was like, see, the NFL, not they, they're not about to end this. And then you fast forward the players, as we all know, players, coaches say they're not playing. They don't end up playing. And it was shocking to me because not actually that's a lie. It wasn't shocking to me that the NFL still wanted them to play and that the players and coaches had to step in, but it was just like, this, unfortunately, it's the NFL is a money-making business. And the person I was on the phone with was trying to say, man, Roger Goodell is a bad person, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, I think something that we all like to forget is that the NFL is a business. And not 
please don't take this in a derogatory term. I'm not referring to DeMar Hamlin. It's just a saying, but like one monkey don't stop the show. And so the NFL's mindset is we see injuries happen all the time. You think we're going to stop a game? And so I was shocked that the game actually was stopped. And I'm happy that it was stopped, especially considering like you could tell just how disheartened and how heartbroken and distraught the players were. And so that was one of my first reactions just to seeing like how serious it was because the game did not continue. And another reaction was, I think we all take for granted how physical of a sport football is. Like, cause I, I don't know if you watched any of the college uh, player football playoff games, man, those boys were getting smacked. And just like any NFL of course game, I mean football game of course, but you gonna see some hard hits. Some pits, the players get up from, and they just kind of just shake it off. The other ones, they lay down for a while. Hell, even the uh, LSU-Purdue bowl game, uh, a Purdue wide receiver got hit so hard, like, he had to get helped off the field. But, like, not saying you become numb to it, but it's just, like, you just think it's kind of a part of the game. And it's scary because for all the great plays and the highlights and the big hits that don't yield injuries – you get instances like DeMar Hamlin. You get instances like the Ryan Shazier's, the Tua Tunga by Lois instances like that where it becomes so real. And I think that for everybody, we're really – this was a reminder of how serious this all could be. So that's because, like, like I said, that tackle wasn't anything. We've all seen much harder tackles in the fact that that had such a profound effect and this man literally died on the field. I think that says a lot. Um but, yeah, no, it was a lot going on. Like I said, his uh, condition seems to be getting better, which is absolutely a blessing. But last question on the subject, because I don't want it to get too sad. But, like, Ethan, if you are the Bills or the Bengals – actually, no, no, let me change this because I had an in-depth conversation about this. How, do you think, realistically, this game is going to have any bearing on this upcoming week? And when I say that, do you think that players – may not be as aggressive? Do you think that players may kind of pull up a bit? Do you think some players may even be kind of a little wary to make tackles because of what happened? I think to start off, I think to, in a sense, yes, like especially in the early portions of the game. But as the game goes on and, like, you realize, like, hey, we're going to have to play. We're going like, this is our job, this is what we get paid to do. I I can see people being um playing back to normal. I just think what's gonna happen is you're gonna see a lot of you're gonna see a lot of emotion um from players this upcoming Sunday. Yeah. Um especially players in Pittsburgh where he went to college and where he was from. Yeah. Like Kenny Pickett, that was his college teammate. Um, Mike Tomlin, he released a press conference where he said he knew him since he was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of raw emotions, and you're going to see just like, like you very similar. It might be something very similar to when Kobe passed, mm-hmm. and you just see camera cuts of NBA players just in tears, bawling. I think that might be what you see a lot of this upcoming Sunday. Um, and to kind of go back to what you said about just how we take the violence of the game for granted, like, that is a very real statement because people don't understand. Even the most simplest form of the game, which is an O-lineman blocking a defensive lineman, 
crash. Yeah. And you have to think, you, they're doing this essentially for like two hours. Like constant car crash of the car crash of the car crash for two hours. And that's one of the most simplistic nature parts of the game. And then you take into account, you have got like, the, like you said, the tackle was routine. Like, we've seen a similar tackle for years, and nothing happened. And, like, that game could be – the game of football can be taken for granted. I mean, I didn't play football for long. I only played for a handful of years. But the reason I love football was because how violent it was. Like, and I, I remember hearing somebody – it was either a podcast or it was, like, a, a video, you know, but they basically said, if you're a professional football player, there's some part of you that's insane. Yeah. Because And, like, I can relate. Because the reason I loved football was because, like, I was a hothead growing up. I always wanted, like, I was in a bunch of fights. Like, football was my way to, like, calm down because I was able to take the aggression that I had built up and, like, outwardly pulled out in a somewhat productive way by playing football so and I think like and it was um who was it it was a PV podcast with Thomas Jones the uh, former running back for the Jets Mm -hmm. and he was like people don't understand like he essentially said like once you retire from being a football player and you have to go back into the real world like it's a culture shock because when you're a football player you're like the second, you're like the second closest thing to being like an active um, military um, soldier because there's similar parallels. Like you can go through similar injuries. You can go through having concussions. You can get PTSD and all of those things playing football. And I think people just take it for granted because like we're such big fans of the game and like these guys, even though their bodies are going through such adverse um, physical punishment, because they're the top athletes in the world and they train for it, they just walk around like it's normal. Right. But if you but if you take it in the context, if you put a regular person that does that isn't an NFL athlete in the NFL game, I'm almost certain if they will leave with some form of major injury. Oh, for just sure. off of like just off of maybe a routine tackle. Um and like, matter of fact, I know because I hate to say this, but one of my, one of the things that I, like one of the movies that I enjoy watching from time to time when I was growing up was the Jackass movies with Steve-O, Johnny Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And, on one of, and on one of their movies, they got tackled, blindside tackled by Jared Allen when he was still a, a prof- And you saw like, yeah, so... We definitely take the violence of football for granted. Most definitely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I do think that players are going to be affected. I mean, you mentioned players in Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm sure Bills players are going to be affected. I'm sure their mindset, no matter what happens with DeMar, is just going to be playing for him and just doing their best that they can for him. And I think Bengals players are also going to be affected, especially T. Higgins, which, by the way, anybody trying to blame T. Higgins for what happened, please stop. That is some sick stuff to do. 
aka Bart Scott on national TV saying that like you're actually insane please don't put that on that man because I'm sure he was already going through it hard enough and the fact that you would say that publicly as if it were true no but um yeah so prayers up like I said for everybody involved for DeMar Hamlin and his family I mean that's an incredibly scary situation and but like I said the reports are seeming like he's making good progress so God willing he'll be back but I think we can both agree he's never playing football again there's no way in hell that's happening no, I don't think so. Yeah, hard pass for me. I mean, not even one, because I feel like on the psychological side, like you can't not have PTSD from that. Like after the yeah. last time you stepped on a football field and you did what you did a billion times before, and then you went to cardiac arrest, that's the first thing. And secondly, no team is going to take that liability because God forbid yeah. they actually do sign you and then you die on the field. Yeah, no, nah, that's not happening. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to a much lighter subject and also just one of the probably the best college football playoff games i've seen and that was the semifinals games between michigan and tcu where tcu came on top and then georgia and ohio state where georgia survived ohio state i already know who you're gonna say but georgia versus tcu this upcoming monday for the national championship i know you're gonna say georgia but on a, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much of a chance do you think TCU could pull off a, pull off the upset? Uh, TCU really surprised me with the, the way that they performed against Michigan. Because I honestly thought, like, any, and I kind of might, I think I kind of blame some of it on Michigan. Yeah. Um. Because Michigan is built similar to an SEC team, where it's like they have a dominant run game, they have a big O line, and they play really they play good defense, and they didn't do they didn't really use their dominant. The reason they decided to like kind of throw the ball around, which was weird. Yeah. But I think with Georgia, I don't I I can give T, I give TCU like a forty percent chance because I also think that. Given Georgia coming off the game that they came off against with Ohio State, they're going to play this game with a lot more focus than they might would have if they just blew them out. Right. Yeah, I think they got humbled. I really do think they got humbled. I mean, this was supposed to be the best defense in the nation, probably better than the defense from last year, which I'm going to call cap on, but they're still pretty good. The fact that Ohio State put up 40 on them and nearly won the game, I mean, especially when Marvin Harrison was in, it was going crazy. Uh, but in terms of an upset, I'll say, if we go on percentages, I'll say a solid 35%. I think it can be done. Um, but the biggest difference is, I mean, TCU, Quentin Johnston is pretty good. I mean, they got a solid run game. Max Duggan has really showed out this season. But they don't have the weapons that Ohio State had. And I think, like I said, I think Georgia's defense is going to be out to prove that they are much better than the what they showed. And so because of that, I think their defense is going to take this game real personally, and I think it's going to lead to them pulling out the win. But, I mean, TCU has nothing to lose, so they can just say F it and be really aggressive all game and mess around and win. Either way, I'm cool with the national championship. I'm excited to see how it shakes out. All right, let's go ahead and run through this quick recap of week 17 around the NFL, uh, which normally is the final week of the regular season, but they added another week, which to me is still stupid. Uh, starting off Thursday night football, Dallas Cowboys defeated the Tennessee Titans 27-13. Lions run over the Bears 41-10. to 
Broncos nearly upset the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs pull it out, though, 27-14. to Baltimore loses to Pittsburgh, 16-13. Saints, I guess you can call it an upset, defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 20-10. to Bucks clinched their place as the NFC South champions 20, with their 30-24 to win over Carolina. Uh, Giants punched their ticket to the playoffs for the first time since the infamous boat pick with a 38-10 victory over Indianapolis. Uh, the Jags roll over the Texans 31-3. Uh, Falcons and Cardinals put together a very entertaining game that the Falcons come out on top of, 20-19. Browns beat the Commanders 24-10, ending Washington's playoff hopes. Uh, Patriots defeat the Dolphins 23-21. Uh, Jets offense cannot get it together as they lose to Seattle 23-6. And the 49ers and Raiders put on a banger in an overtime 37-34 49ers victory. Uh, Chargers earned the fifth seed after a Ravens loss and beating the Rams 31-10. And finally, the Green Bay Packers backed up their smack talk, defeated the Minnesota Vikings 41-17. As we all know, Bills and Bengals game was not a uh, finished um we're gonna skip injury updates just because it's so late in the season i mean at this point just about any injury is possibly uh season ending so we're gonna move on to our top five takeaways ethan did you watch much football this week you got five or oh uh, really the only football i watched was the the only game i watched was the ravens and Steelers. honestly okay cool so well we can i can just get my other four and then we can both like do a one takeaway all right, my um, number five, had the Saints been healthy all season, they could have had a very different season. As we all know, Marshawn Lattimore has been out. He's definitely a top ten cornerback. At some moments has shown top five potential, but he has been healthy, and so that's been a major blow to their secondary with him back on the field. That has definitely allowed uh, more cover, better coverage on the back end in the front seven to be able to do what they do. So just imagine had the Saints been able to have him for much of the year. I think that they could have been – they could have had something to say about the NFC South crown. Uh, number four, the 49ers secondary proves to be their Achilles heel. You and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, as great as the 49ers front seven is, their secondary is a massive liability, and the Raiders game showed that even with Jared Stidham in tow, their offense went crazy. He threw for 365 yards, three touchdowns. Darren Waller had a game. Devontae Adams had a game. Hunter Renfro had big throws. You cannot have that if you are a defense who claims to be the best in the league and you're getting thrown messed up by a backup. Uh, number three, Kirk Cousins continue to be untrustworthy when it matters most had, what, three picks and made really bad decisions. I could go on a whole tirade about the fact that Justin Jefferson was under-targeted, but that's a whole other story. But the fact is, Kirk Cousins continues to be a guy who cannot be trusted in primetime moments because even though this game may not have meant too, too much for them per se, you had the opportunity to knock out your division rival. You could have ended the Packers' playoff hopes and it just looked like nobody showed up, particularly Kirk Cousins. Uh, number two, the Cowboys need Tony Pollard. Um, their offense was pretty lackluster, and then give credit to the Tennessee Titans' run defense. They did a pretty good job, but, I mean, they just lack that explosiveness that they typically have when Tony Pollard's in tow. For example, their leading rusher was uh, Malik Davis, who had 39 yards. Zeke only had 37 yards on 19 carries, averaged a measly 1.9 yards per carry. That's rough. So, yeah. Cowboys definitely need some uh, Tony Pollard, and hopefully he'll be back soon. And, uh, yeah, what's your number one takeaway before I give mine? My number one takeaway is, and it's simple, people need 
I want to say he's in his 16th year because uh, John Harbaugh's been there 15 years. Okay. So, yeah. And you look up. He's 8-8 eight eight right now going into the last game of the season and he st- they still have a chance at making the playoffs. And they're starting to hit their stride. Um, like you look at their team as a whole, Najee Harris is healthy. And now you can kind of see like all those bush talks that we kind of have heard and maybe contribute a little bit to have died down and be like, oh no, when this guy is actually healthy, he is the top running back that we thought he was when he came out of Alabama that year. Yeah. And Kenny Pickett, he's making, hey, look like he might be their quarterback of the future. They just need a different offensive coordinator, but he's looking like the quarterback of the future for the Steelers. And like that defense, we know the minute that watch back on their team and on their field, their defense is a completely different unit. And I think this season in particular, T.J. Watt was hurt. He was out, so the defense didn't look nearly as dominant as it had in the past. Najee Harris was coming back from injury. They were going through O-line concerns, and they were essentially working with two quarterbacks that at the time didn't, they weren't good. And people were saying, like, Mike Tomlin needs to get fired and these things. And to me, and you know, uh, more than anybody, how big of a closet Steelers fan I am, like, to the point where it's basically like I like the Titans and the Steelers the equal amount. I just go with Tennessee because it's the hometown team. You about to be a Steelers <laughs> fan. It's okay. It's all right. You know it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be – I'll talk about it later. But, so, with it, put respect on my Tomlin name. That's all. Totally fair. Uh, my takeaway is about another AFC team vying for that seventh seed, and that is the Dolphins are on the cusp of a historic collapse. These these guys start the season, what, 8-3 and three, and have lost their last five games, going from a team that looked like arguably the most dangerous one in the playoff hunt to one that may not even make the playoffs in the first place. And if that don't remind you of the Colts from last year, I don't know what does. And now their season hangs in the balance of a third-string uh, quarterback who's going up against a pretty tough defense in the Jets, who are probably looking to play spoiler, and rightfully so. So I feel like if the Dolphins do end up losing this game and don't make the playoffs, yeah. I think I'm not saying Mike McDaniel should be fired, but I think that there's going to be quite a few moves made um, around that roster that was supposed to be considered one of the best in the league. But all right, let's go ahead and uh, do our most impressive players of the week. For me, offensively, I'm going Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans after an incredibly slow season, very quiet season where the. I'm not going to lie. I kind of was wondering if he was going to hit uh, 1,000 yards. He went crazy in a pivotal game against the Panthers, had 10 catches for 207 yards and three touchdowns. Absolutely what the Bucks needed. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on Mike Evans, um, whereas, like, he came, he came to play when the Bucks needed him the most, and he had the biggest game of the season when they needed him the most. So, it has to be nobody else but Mike Evans. All right, and then moving on to my most impressive defensive player. At first, I had uh, at first I had Jair Alexander single handedly, but no, I'm gonna show some love to the entire Packers defense. I mean, they have been on a tear over the past few weeks, and this past game against the Vikings really showed that. Jair Alexander talked his stuff. 
said uh, he got some good defense. They got some good DBs. They got some good linebackers and called Justin Jefferson's first game a fluke. I won't call it a fluke, but they damn sure made that he was not going to repeat that performance. And, I mean, they were all over the field. So, I got to give credit where credit's due. Shout out to the Packers defense. They really they stopped the mud hole in the Vikings. Uh, moving on to my most disappointing player. It's not even a player. It's a coach, and it's Ron Rivera. I understand Taylor Heineke isn't leading to wins, but the fact that you put in Carson Wentz and then he proceeds to throw three picks where you have to win the game to keep your playoff hopes alive, come on, Ron, you got to be better than that. And so, yeah, I'm just disappointed in Ron Rivera. Better awareness. Um, Defensive player of the week, I, I got to go in a similar route with you with the Packers defense. Because, like you said, when you have a guy that did what Jair Alexander did, if the back, um, and we know something about people putting big targets on their back, i.e. John Morant, but that's another conversation. Yeah. But, like, that defense backed up his talk. And, like, especially after you see the first pass that went in his direction towards Justin Jefferson, he broke it up, and then he hit the gritty. Yeah, it I wanted Jay Jettis to go for like 300 after that. It was and it was an ugly gritty, by the way. Terrible. Like movie. it was. It, I'm gonna be honest. For um, non-melanated listeners, I don't want to say this and you defend it, but he looked like he was Caucasian when he did the gritty, and it was bad. Yes. But I, I thought after that, just I I thought Justin Jefferson was gonna go crazy because it's like, bro, not only did you talk crazy before the game, you break up a you break up one pass. And you hit the my celebration is most anonymous with me. I thought he was gonna go crazy, yeah. and he didn't. And they also locked up Dalvin Cook in the run game. So yeah, I gotta go with the Packers defense. And most disappointing for me, it's not other than Kurt. Because it's like throughout the whole course of this season, we've been we've been kind of silently saying like. You know, look like Kirk Cousins finally turning the corner. He won a couple big games. Yes, he lost the one game against the Eagles. That was a big game. But he was winning other big games. And it was looking like this game against the Packers. Like, yes, the Packers were kind of getting their mojo back. But the Vikings were still, like, looking at looking like steady ship just on a, a, a cruise to the playoffs. And, again, when you need him most, he disappeared. So I got to go with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Uh, and then my rookie of the week, I don't like losing to the Steelers. I hate losing to the Steelers. But one thing about me is I'm going to give props when props are due, and I'm going to shout out Kenny Pickett. I mean, the man was running for his life all game, but still only managed to get sacked twice, which, you know, not happy about that. But shout out to him. He suffered nine hits, still got back up, and, I mean, led the team on the game-winning drives. Lasted long enough to hit Najee Harris for that nice touchdown pass. So, I hate it. Was not happy with the result, but shout out to Kenny Pickett. He kept his poise. Yeah, I got to go with Kenny as well. Still a buster, though, and I still hate him. But it's all good. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the current playoff picture where we are going to bring out our crystal balls and try to predict who will lock up the final spots um, in the AFC and NFC. So, just for refresher's sake, in the AFC, the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Chargers, and Ravens have already locked up their spot. Here are the spots that are in 
disputes. Start, let's, so let's start off with the AFC South crown. The Jacksonville Jaguars currently hold the advantage over the Titans, but if the Titans win that game, they'll get it. Who's going to win the AFC South? Jaguars. All right, the seventh spot also is up for grabs, and that leaves the – right now, if the season ended, the Patriots would hold on to it, which if you would tell me the Patriots going to make the playoffs this season, I'd be shocked. But right now, it is between them, the Steelers, and the Dolphins. Who Of those three teams, who do you think locks up that seventh seed? The caveat of the only – a big part of the reason – way for the um, Steelers to make it is it was going to have to be of the Bengals and Bills. They, if I'm not mistaken. No, so they would have to win this game and then the Dolphins would have to lose to the Jets and the Patriots would have to lose to the Bills. Oh, uh, well, never mind. I'm going to say Steelers. This is tough because I could absolutely see that happening. But it's it's just Miami. I don't Miami's weird. I think Miami ends up getting it because I could see the Steelers beating the Browns and I could see the Bills losing to the Patriots. But I think the pay, I mean, I think the Dolphins can do just enough to beat the Jets. So I think they end up pulling it out. All right, the NFC, all but one spot is locked up. We know that the Eagles are going, the 49ers, Vikings, Bucks, who won their division. Um, Cowboys and Giants are there. The last spot up for grabs is that seventh seed, which if the season ended right now, it would go to the Seattle Seahawks. But the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers are also in contention. Here's what can happen. Here's what needs to happen for either team to get it. The Packers just have to beat the Lions. The Lions would have to beat the Packers and see. Seattle would have to lose to the Rams, and Seattle would have to beat the Rams, and the Packers would have to lose to the Lions. I hate to say it. Actually, I don't hate to, No, I do, because I'd rather the Lions get it, but I think the Packers end up back in the playoffs in a year no one expected them to, especially with the start of the season. Yeah, me too. I think, I think they – and I hate to say it, but it's one of those situations where it's like – and it's like that in football, and it's very like this in baseball when it looks like the Packers are just starting to hit their stride at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, their offense really didn't do too much, or at least not the passing game. It was really the Aaron Jones show, and the defense put on a clinic. So, I I think they are hitting their side on the right side time. Right now, they would face the 49ers in the first round, so I don't think it'd be a long stay, but – as of right now, I got a hard time going against them. All right, let's go ahead and try to run through uh, these quick talking points before we play our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And let's go ahead and start off with the Saints, who, as we all know, do not have a first-round pick as they traded their first-round pick to the Eagles as a way to have two first-rounders in the uh, last year's draft, which they used to draft Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State, and Trevor Penning, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. However, there is a chance that they could get back in the first round, and that is because the Saints are going to ask teams for a first-round pick in exchange for the coaching rights of Sean Payton. Now, look, I get it. Teams are desperate to have a great head coach, but do you think any team would really give a one for Sean Payton? And if so, who do you think would do it? I'll say is the team that is currently quarterbacked by your brother-in-law, the Denver Broncos. Either them 
means Arizona has to give up like the third overall pick. I don't think they're gonna do that. I don't think they're gonna do it, but like if if any, I feel like they need them. Yeah, they need because at first I would have said before they turned their season around, I would have said the Chargers. Yeah, but they turned their season around. But right now, out of the teams that are like that, you look at on paper that have all the talent. But they just need the right guy running the system. In my mind, it's Arizona or it's Denver. Unfortunately, uh, as much as I love to see him in Denver, I don't know if they would use the one on him just because they have so many other needs. Like, it's it's kind of ridiculous how much other stuff they need. But uh, I'm going to go with the team that always is in the spotlight, whether it be good or bad. And I'm going to say the Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy, I don't think I've ever seen a head coach more tolerated in like the NFL like no one seems to love Mike McCarthy in Dallas it's just he's their head coach and I feel like it's one of those things where if a better option a la Sean Payton became available I think the Cowboys would take it and I think that if the, like for example if the Cowboys get bounced in the first round right now they're slated to play the Bucks. but if they don't advance further than that I think that Mike McCarthy is gone and I think that because the Cowboys will have a late enough pick, they'll be able to use that to trade for Sean Payne and not miss it too much. So if I had to distinctly go with a pick, I would go Cowboys, but Broncos are another very realistic one. All right, let's talk about the New York Giants, though. I mean, as it was just announced, uh, they have clinched a playoff spot after beating the Colts this week. And even before then, there were talks that they were working on extensions for both Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. While this is easily the best year of Daniel Jones' career, and Saquon is reminding everybody of how much of a monster he is when he is healthy, let's say that these two continue to be the best players for the New York Giants, or at least offensively. How far can the Giants go? Can they be a perennial playoff team? You think this is just a one-off appearance? Or do you think there's a chance for them to be in the Super Bowl? I can see them being a perennial playoff team because if Daniel Jones is um, if Daniel Jones is improving, which he's shown improvement over the course of this season, I think he could end up being there. He could be in a similar situation as in like Jared Goff Whereas he's like their franchise quarterback, but he just isn't the sexy name franchise quarterback. Right. Um, and Saquon, if he continues to show that he's, you know, being a super back to being his old self, then yes, I can see them being a perennial playoff contender because the reality is, is like for the at least for the time being, their defense is still going to be good. They still have arguably one of the better defense alignment in the game right now and Destin Lawrence is on their team. So I can see them making the playoffs for consecutive years. Yeah, I can see it too, um, especially because the facts remains the NFC is still kind of weak right now. And so I can see them making it. Do I think that they can like best the Eagles or the Cowboys for like the top seed or the top spot in the division? No. But I do think that especially if they can just add more consistent pieces at wide receiver, it doesn't have to be stars, but just people who are healthy. I think that that could really add a boost to this offense. So I could see them becoming a perennial playoff team. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. It seems like every year Jim Harbaugh's name is thrown into the hat of potential NFL head coaching candidates, and rightfully so. I mean, he led his team, the 49ers, to the Super Bowl when he was there, has spent nine years with Michigan, who, like we mentioned, just lost to TCU. While he said he thinks he's going to be staying in Michigan, believable or buffoonery, Jim Harbaugh will find his way back to the NFL this year. Uh, I'm going to say believable just because I think it's a couple of teams. It's a couple of teams that could use a really solid head coach. Like we talked about the Broncos. I think, in my opinion, if you're not able to get Sean Payton, the next logical and best option in my mind would probably be a uh, John Harbaugh. And... Again, same scenario with Arizona. Like, if you're not willing to go through the Sean Payton sweepstakes, he could be a viable choice, especially given the fact, in my mind, this is something that I think about. I understand that Cliff Kingsbury was great. In the NFL, the quarterback he had his most success with was Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. That fits a a similar skill set to Colin Mary. So that could be a really unique pairing. And we all know that John Harbaugh is going to have his team with a good defense. So I can see him being in the NFL, um, especially because I feel like the reality of it is, is he's reached his plateau at Michigan. Yeah, I agree. Like he, he's going to be the guy. He's gonna, Michigan is going to be their team that they're probably going to always be in the college football playoff. But they aren't going to win it unless it's just one miraculous year where everything falls in their favor. But with the top teams, other top teams improving, then you have teams like TCU that have surprise seasons out of nowhere. Like, I don't see him um, progressing that much further as a head coach in college. So why not go back to the NFL? Essentially, was a great head coach, and you made it all the way to the big dance. You just didn't win it right. and try to get, go – yeah, I'm in agreement. I think it is going to happen. I feel like, because like you said, after Sean Payton is kind of up in the air about head coaching candidates, um, I can see like a D'Amico Ryan's getting a job, though, for sure. And Eric B. Henneme, this is the first year he gets one. But, I mean, like I said, John Harbaugh is a proven commodity. And truthfully, I was shocked that Michigan made the playoffs in the first place just because I thought last year was the best they were going to get. Like with that team with Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, those cats over there. And so props to him for making it back, but I just I don't see Michigan being able to get over the hump. And so it's like I feel like at some point, especially after it's been nine years, I think he's going to get that itch to come back to the NFL, especially because it feels like it's not to say it's not working in Michigan, but they're not getting the level of success that they want. Because realistically, the biggest accomplishment that they've had is beating Ohio State in back-to-back years, which is the first time that's happened in I don't even know how long. And so while that's a great accomplishment, you hang your head on that. I know John Har- I mean Jim Harbaugh wants more, so I think he'll end up coming back. All right, speaking of a team, another team on the West Coast, the San- the Los Angeles Chargers are gaining some steam, so much so that Tony Romo said, I think the Chargers sneakily could win the Super Bowl. Before they win the Super Bowl, they got to get there. But believable or buffoonery, the Chargers are a legitimate Super Bowl threat because as they get healthy, I'm going to say believable. Oh, most definitely. Because when, they, when they're when they healthy, on paper, they have one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Because you look at it from 
a defensive standpoint, you have Joe, um, Joey Bosa, mm-hmm. Khalil Mack, who, who is having a resurgence season, Duran James, um, like, they have a re- and then you look on the offense and it's like, Mike Williams is probably the, the bet, one of the better contested catches, catchers of a football in the NFL. You have Kenyon Allen, one of the best route runners in the NFL. You have Austin Eckler, who, honestly, I wasn't that familiar with Austin Eckler's game because I don't really watch Chargers stuff because mm-hmm. Chargers just on a team that tickles my fancy. But, like, Austin Eckler has a very viable case of saying, like, I'm a top five running back in the NFL from his production. Um, and then you have Justin Herbert, who has shown that he's the, he can be the franchise guy and he's making strides and leading his team to the playoffs. I, and I, the reason I say yes is simply because we, with football, we all know that it's, it's literally anybody can win. And like when you get when you get those guys healthy and you getting them hitting their stride, like they can run through the AFC. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, for everything you mentioned, I mean, like I said before the season started, I was really high on the Chargers and I picked them actually to go to the Super Bowl. Do I? Am I one hundred percent confident that they'll do it? Not necessarily, but I do think they absolutely have a shot because they can go blow for blow with anybody. All right, moving on to back to the East Coast and more specifically the Big Apple. During that game between the Colts and the uh, Giants, Kayvon Thibodeau, by the way, had an absolute game and had a terrific sack on Nick Foles, where after the sack, he was doing snow angels next to Nick Foles. However, unbeknownst to him, Nick Foles was actually injured and was not unable to come back. Head Interim head coach for the Colts, uh, Jeff Saturday, talked about Kayshawn's activities and said that they were tasteless and trash, even though Kayvon said beforehand that he did not know that uh, Nick Foles was hurt. However, in an interview um, recently, following the practice, uh, reporters asked Thibodeau, Thibodeau about the play and his thoughts on it and what Jeff Saturday had to say, and he simply said, I don't know who he is as if he really didn't know who a Super Bowl champion, six-time Pro Bowler was. But all that's to say, believable or buffoonery, Kayvon Thibodeau was wrong for celebrating next to an injured Nick Foles. Um, it's hard because I would say this. If he knew that he was hurt, he was wrong. Yeah. But if he genuinely didn't know that he was hurt, then he's not wrong. Right. Yeah, so, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, like that's the only way to look at it. Cause like if he knew that he was, if he didn't know that he was hurt, and he did it, it's like okay. But if he knew that he was hurt, then yeah, that's definitely wrong. Yeah, we're in agreement. I think the only other now, I think he does sound ignorant, trying to act like he doesn't know who Jeff Saturday is. But in terms of the celebration, I mean, all you can do is apologize. My bad. Move on. All right, last question before we make our game picks for the final week of the regular season. Prior to this st- coming a couple weeks ago, whenever there was an MVP argument made for Jalen Hurts, the question was Patrick Mahomes, or is it Jalen Hurts, or is it the Eagles? Well, since Jalen Hurts has been out, the Eagles are 0-2. So, believable or buffoonery, the last two games have proven that Jalen Hurts is the driving force of the Eagles. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, like... No, no disrespect to Garner Minshew. I have to think Garner Minshew is a really, like, a good NFL quarterback. But do you see the drastic drop-off between having Jalen Hurts 
Yeah. And I also think it's worth noting with regards to Jalen Hurts, like, dude wasn't just he made some great throws, but let's be honest, the best thing about him was his versatility. I mean, even with him being out these last two games, he still is up there in terms of rushing yards in the entire league. Right now, he ranks what? Never mind. Yeah, he is within the top what, 15, 16 of rushers. I mean, he his ability to run the ball really helped to set them apart, which Gardner mentioned, as you mentioned, is pretty good. However, he does not have that same running ability, which kind of force it allows uh, defenses to not really have to hone in on the box because Miles Sanders is fine, but let's be honest, ain't nobody's really checking for Miles Sanders like that. And then the receivers are so great that because they don't have to worry about the threat of Gardner Minshew running the way that you have to worry about with Jalen Hurts, that allows them to play better coverage and not have to always keep looking at the line of scrimmage. So yeah, I'm going to say believable as well. I'm hoping for a speedy recovery because I think the Eagles are way more exciting when he's under center. Anyway, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks, starting with Saturday's games. The Kansas City Chiefs versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I got Chiefs. I got Chiefs. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Tennessee Titans. I'm in agreement with you from earlier. I got Jags. I got Jags. Tennessee Titans. I mean, not Tennessee. I'm sorry. Uh, Indianapolis Colts versus the Houston Texans. Honestly, I don't trust the Colts to do anything, so I'm going to say the Texans. Okay, Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears is already announced. Justin Fields will not be playing, thus he will not be breaking Lamar Jackson's single season record, uh, Russian record. I mean, either way, I was gonna pick the Vikings, but just fun tip. Yeah, I got Vikings. I got Vikings. Cincinnati Bengals versus my Baltimore Ravens. Ah. Uh. We already in the playoffs, so I'm happy about that. And as much as I want to beat the Bengals, because, I mean, technically we're not out of it for the AFC North crown, I still got Bengals, unless they rest their starters, but I don't think they're going to because of how Monday's game played out. So I got Baltimore. I mean, not Baltimore. I got Cincy. This is a tough game. Uh, I think I'm still going to go with the Bengals, but it's just going to be tough because I'm pretty sure the – Bengals players are still going to be riding like big emotional dumps yeah. after what happened Monday. So, but I'm still going to pick the Bengals. Yeah, you know, and I agree. And so I think if they just wanted to bench their starters or at least just Joe, I I think that would be for the best. And T. Higgins and Jamar too, you know, I think that would be best for everybody so everybody can have time to heal. Uh, Miami Dolphins versus the New York Jets. I'm gonna go Dolphins begrudgingly. I'm going Jets because they starting. They they might be starting Mike Glennon, and if that's the case, dude, bad. So mm-hmm. I don't see him picking up a dub regardless of who he has at wide receiver. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. Uh, Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Saints. I got Saints. Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots. I'm going to keep it simple. God have mercy on the Patriots' souls because the Bills going to be coming out motivated. Emotional, but motivated. I got Bills. Yeah, I got Bills, too. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Bucks. Bucks. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Steelers. I got Steelers. Seattle Seahawks versus the Los Angeles Rams. Low-key, this is tough because I think, I think the Rams want to end on a high note. But, I mean, Seattle wants the chance to make the playoffs. I'm going to go Seattle, but barely. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, Seahawks or Rams? I got Seattle because this is Seattle's last. They want to make the playoffs, and this is also like this Geno last game before he becomes a free agent. So he might be trying to put his skills up, more footage up to uh, get a big offer from a different team besides Seattle. Yeah, you got. Yep, I feel you on that. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. I would love the Broncos to end the season on a high note, but I'm going to go Chargers. I'm going Chargers. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. I know the Eagles are on the two-game skid, but I'm still picking them. I'm picking the Giants. Totally fair. Uh, Let's see. San Francisco 49ers versus the Arizona Cardinals. I got Niners. Niners. Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington Commanders. Starting Sam Howell, rookie, fifth-round pick for the first time this season, I got Cowboys. Yeah, I got Cowboys. And finally, for almost all the marbles, because the Seahawks game still affects the Lions, but Sunday Night Football, the Detroit Lions versus the Green Bay Packers. We both said we got Packers. Yep. All right, here are the players that I am watching offensively and defensively. Starting on offense, J.K. Dobbins. J.K.'s been having a very, very good return since he got back from his latest knee surgery. And honestly, we're going to need him. I don't trust Tyler Huntley. But one thing I can say is this Bengals defense, as balanced as it is, is not that great against the run. I feel like if we can pound these boys into submission and let our defense kind of do the work, we have a chance. And J.K. is going to be a big part of that. Um, it's funny you said you don't trust Tyler Huntley because that's the guy that I was going to be watching. Because I just feel like, I feel like y'all run game, y'all going to do what y'all are going to do, but he's just going to have to make a, a throw or two to give y'all guys a victory. That's all I, I ask. It. And not throw a pick on the potentially game-winning drive. That's all I ask. Yeah. Uh, my defensive player is Bobby Wagner. For the first time since signing with the Rams, he's going back to Seattle. And in an interview, he said that he was motivated to return because he felt like Seattle kind of just gave up on him. So he's excited to show he's still a bad mofo. And we all know we love some Bobby Wagner over here. Um, for me, my defensive player is going to have to be Cam, Cam, um, Cam Hayward. You know, going up against the Browns, a division rival, going up against Nick Chubb, a guy who can make can make some big plays in the run game. I want to see old old man Cam can hold the fort down and secure victory. Uh, my rookie I'm watching is Skylar Thompson, rookie quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, like you you said, you don't care who we throw into, the Dolphins still gonna have some problems. I mean, the same goes for whether it's Mike Lynn or Skyler, but I think I mean you got Tyreek Hill, you got Jalen Waddle. Just throw slants ten times a game. Let them do all the work. Let Raheem Mostert show what he can do. Same for Jeff Jeff Wilson. Just just rookie, don't mess up. Cause either way, if it's well. Nah, even if it is Tua, I'm not exactly scared of the Dolphins in the playoffs, but I think that Skyler can do enough to get them in there. Speaking of Raheem Mostert, this is completely off topic. Dude has been consistently dropping major points in fantasy. Yes. Like, And he was healthy this been, year. <laughs> I think it's been like, at least, because he's, he's been on my bench, because my running backs are Najee. And uh, and Nick Chubb, but like every time I look up on my bench, he's getting like fifteen to twenty points consistently for like the past five weeks. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, he's been having a real since Jeff Wilson got hurt. He's been he's been doing the dang thing. Uh, you got a rookie you watching? Yeah, my rookie. I'm gonna say Sauce Garner. Uh, simply because I know the Jets they are gonna make the um the playoffs, but they can play spoiler. And he just got this type of moxie where he could go into um, into New England and play some good, make, play, make some good plays and coverage just to be a troll. Yeah, I feel you. All right, and then team, you calling out? Who who is it? Team, team, I'm calling out. This Tennessee. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I, I'm not too excited. Uh, and but I do think that this, like this game, hinges on a lot because this is about to be a big off season as well. Like it's reports that that different coaches are going. It's going to be changes in the coaching, um, in the coaching tree. The, the only like non-touchable coach is Mike Variable, which I would be excited for because I don't think he's been a bad head coach. Yeah, but. There's also a lot of things from player perspective, like what are we going to be doing? This is Ryan Tannehill's last um last year on his contract. What are we? What are they going to be doing at quarterback? Um, Jeffrey Simmons, like he he's going to be deserving of a bag, and we don't really have cap space, and we got to figure out how to pay him. So yeah, I'm calling out Tennessee. I'm calling out Baltimore for. We don't have, like, all the front office stuff, but, of course, everybody's focused on Lamar, and after the season, I'll give my my uh, replacement plan for Lamar if he does leave. But he's still on the roster for now, so it'll be very interesting offseason for us, but screw the offseason. I want to make the – not only do I want to get into the playoffs, I want to win this game so we can have some momentum, and I want to win at least one playoff game. Everything else after that, we'll see what happens, but Baltimore, we got to right the ship. Defensively, I love – what we're doing for the most part besides the Steelers bullying us on the ground. But overall, I've loved our defense, and we're going to need a lot of our defense this week to slow down the Bengals, even if they don't play their starters the whole game. They have guys, and they have enough balance to get it done. So, Baltimore, you know what it is. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Mamba Players of the Week. I'm not going to lie. I got wrapped up in the whirlwind of Donovan Mitchell's 71-point game, even when they said technically he should have had 56, whatever. He almost was my Eastern Mamba. But Giannis's last three games have been absolutely insane, so I got to go Giannis. I feel you, but, hey, when you score 71, you my Mamba. That's I right. don't care if it was supposed to be 56 or what. At the end of the day, when you look at the record books, you're going to see Donovan Mitchell's yes, name with 21 points. Which, as, which is really interesting because I don't know if you saw the stat, but the last – of the past 25 years, the last three players to score 70 or more have all been drafted 13th overall, which is very interesting. Uh, but and yeah, all, You said what? And all over my shooting guards. Sure are. And it all started with Kobe being Bryant. But, yeah, no, Spider almost got it. But I gave the nod to Giannis because he's been better – overall this week uh my western mamba i'm sorry i gotta go luca luca has been insane it's fine screw luca i'm going job totally fair speaking of job that actually kicks off my takeaways for the week 
Uh, like we said, the Grizzlies are fine. Currently on a four-game winning streak. The team is starting to play much more balanced when, than they were when they were on that little losing skid. For all the people who were counting out the Grizzlies and saying job was talking too much or calling them too cocky, like we said, it's a long NBA season. Ebbs and flows are going to happen. Leave the Grizzlies alone. They're good. Uh, my number three is, man, these NBA players scoring ridiculous numbers are great in the regular season, but this isn't going to be the case come time in the playoffs. No. Uh, like, the way that the game is officiated in the regular season, the way that the, the pace and space is set up in the regular season, like, these are a great products for the regular season. But once the game slows down in the postseason, you are going to be seeing these ridiculous scoring numbers from individuals. Like, I think the highest scoring number in these past, like, couple years of the playoffs is when Giannis scored 50 in their game six against the Suns. And it's the reason for it, because the playoffs are way more physical, they're officiated differently, and the game slows down. Um... Yeah. Once the playoffs hit and you're looking up and you're seeing guys that you're used to going, like case in point, James Harden. James Harden for years has been the, the proprietor of regular season performance. But once the playoffs start and the game is officiated differently, that's why he always declines because it's a different game come time in the postseason. Yeah. Um, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it in the regular season, but don't be mad once the playoffs get here. And your favorite player isn't dropping like 40 like he used to because the game is just a completely different game in the playoffs. That's facts. Uh, moving on to my number two, the Suns are already feeling the absence of D-Book. Currently on a four-game losing skid, three and seven in the last ten games. You and I had already talked about last week when his injury was announced that we expected the Suns to have a drop-off. But, I mean, it's been a pretty clear drop-off overall. It's funny you said that my number two is I think the the at this offseason the Phoenix Suns are officially gonna blow it up. Really? Uh, yeah, I think I think Devin Booker is gonna still be on the team, but I think that catching up to him. He's still a good point guard from the standpoint of being a facilitator and running the offense. But he isn't that guy that you look up and you can see him, even in the absence of a, a Devin Booker, like having clutch games where he can win a game, help win a game without star players around. Yeah. And rightfully so, he's an elder statesman. Yeah. And I just think that when you go into the, when you take into consideration the the issues that DeAndre Aiden and Monty Williams have had together and all of those things, I think you're just going to see a different roster in the, uh, probably this coming offseason. Which, once again, begs the question, why did they bring DeAndre Aiden back? Like, I still they, don't understand why they did that. I think I know. I think they realized that they needed him more than they thought that they did because the reality is DeAndre Aiden is a really talented player. Yes. And... I think that they, like, they weren't going to be able to find somebody. Because, I mean, granny, you think about it, all he does is run a lot of. And lose and win. 
tears and tears all, and now they're losing, so now you're seeing the frustration pop back up. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. So, yeah, I... Yeah, if I had to bet, I, I wouldn't be shocked that they blew it up. It's just a matter of if they were to try to trade CP3, like, who would actually do it? I don't think there's much of a market for him anymore. And also with that crazy contract extension they gave him. But we shall see. Uh, My number one, even though the Nets lost last night and into what, their 12-game winning streak, the Nets still look like the scariest team in the East right now, especially when they are clicking. Don't get me wrong, the Bucks are still bad. The Celtics are still great. I mean, you still see what's going on with the 76ers when they can actually be healthy. Tyrese Maxey coming back is a big help. But, I mean, the Nets right now, they look lethal. And, I mean, I think that if they can continue to play like this and, more importantly, stay healthy, the Nets can do some damage. Yeah. Um, my number one is this is the most interesting stardom in the NBA. Because you look at the Eastern Conference, just from an all-star game perspective, you have Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, and um, Giannis. If you, for the all-star voting purposes, those guys, in my opinion, are the best players in the East, by far. Right. From an all-star standpoint, only three of them will be able to start in the all-star game. So it's like, who would you remove? Would you remove Tatum? And he has the things that he's done, KD, Giannis. And then you look at the West, where it's like, LeBron is still... Like, LeBron is just defying all laws of medical um, technology, in my opinion, with the way that he's been playing at 38 years old. You have the Zion, who, yes, he just recently suffered a, strain, a, cow, a hamstring strain. But when he was healthy and on the court, he was showing flashes of being one of the most dominant players in today's game. You have Ja, you have Shy, who, even though he's... T- did great. He's been a really, um, a really great, fun individual player just to watch in the way that he's been able to improve this season. Like star power in today's NBA is at an all-time high. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I mean, not even just for the casual fans, but just for everybody, you're starting to see just how talented the squad is overall. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our some league news. Which not too too much going on, but more so it's all about the injuries. Uh, starting with Kelly Oubre of the Charlotte Hornets, he's expected to undergo surgery on a torn ligament in his left hand and miss the next four to six weeks of action. While as you mentioned, Zion Williamson is expected to miss multiple weeks with a hamstring strain. In three weeks, he'll get reevaluated, but there's still no guarantee that he'll be back on the court in that time. So this is a two-part question: one, how do you think the Pelicans will deal with his absence? And two. Like you mentioned, we've seen some great play from Zion. We've seen a lot of progression. But do you think that these repeated injuries are going to hinder him from fully reaching his potential? Uh, to answer the first question of how I think they're going to do, I think this is going. This might be the stretch where it might kind of cause some some concern because when they were without Zion last year, where they still were a team that was able to make the playoffs. They had Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. Right now, currently, Brandon Ingram hasn't Brandon Ingram hasn't touched the NBA court since they played the Grizzlies in Memphis um, 
you lose Zion, who was their best player. And yes, CJ McCollum is a really like A plus grade, a number three best player on the team option. But I think just the loss of all their firepower, you're going to they're not going to be able to like ride a steady ship nearly as much as they would have been if it would have been if they still would have had Brandon Ingram. I could still see them winning some like decent amounts of games because you have like you do have other options. You do have Giannis who's shown that he could be a guy that can score twenty and ten. You put up twenty and ten, you have CJ who could go off for forty. Um and you do have some other interesting pieces on their team like Trey Murphy, um, Daniels the rookie. So but I think this is gonna be the stretch that they're really gonna miss Zion. And as far as the injury bug, I think I don't think it's going to be something that still hinders him from reaching his full potential because it's one of those things to where he, unless it's, unless it's a major hamstring strain, he should be able to come back fine. It's just going to be a matter of time because hamstrings are one of those things that you just have to let heal. You can't really do, you can't really do surgery. You have to just do your, um, your um, PT work and your rehab work, and it just heals on his own. So I think he'll be fine. And, I mean, again, when he's been on the court this season, he he's shown no, like, signs of the injuries really affecting him, none whatsoever. Yeah, so I'll start off with the second question. I think, as you mentioned, when he's healthy, I mean, he's a monster. I mean, last week we kind of both talked about how well he played. Um, in the fourth quarter of that, uh, what's it called, Timberwolves game. And then, of course, D'Angelo Russell threw a fit about it. But, I mean, I, it's just frustrating because it's like it's kind of like a stop and start. Like, this is the first year since, what, his rookie year that we've been able to actually see Zion on the court for a sustained amount of time. And, like, we're seeing the potential. We're seeing everything starting to click and him have able to dominate and take over. But then it's like, oh, well, he's going to be out for the next X amount of weeks because of a certain injury. And it seems like that's kind of the story of Zion's career. And that's not to say, like, player of course injuries are going to happen not say he can't become a transcendent player because of this but I feel like after a while your body's not going to keep being able to bounce back from these injuries I recognize he's young I don't even think he's 21 yet he might if that so his body's definitely able to bounce back from this but as he gets older I don't think his body's going to be able to handle these hamstring strains or just different injuries that go to the lower body or things of that nature as quickly as he is now and I think that could be something that kind of breaks down the legacy that he could possibly create if he were to be healthier more consistently um but with regards to the Pelicans I mean they've seen this movie before like they're used to not having Zion on the court. And as you mentioned, with Brandon Ingram being hurt, I think not having him to kind of help cushion the blow is a really big – it makes it harder. But overall, like you mentioned, you have Jonas Valanciunas who can give you 20 and 10. CJ McCollum is still a really good scorer. They still have people on the roster who can make plays for them. So I think that overall they'll be fine. But like you said, until B.I. gets back, I think they won't be able really to hit – hit on the things that they normally would be able to hit on just because they don't have as many scoring options. 
Uh, all right, last question before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Mark Jackson, as we all know, former head coach of the Golden State Warriors before they became the Warriors that we, they are today, still has not returned to the head coaching ranks, but it is not because of a lack of trying. In a recent interview, asked about the potential of him coming back. He said, I got my phone on, so I'm more than available. They know how to find me. I look forward to that day. I think we're nearing closer and closer to the day of Mark Jackson returning as a head coach. So, in your opinion, do you think that he will become a head coach this time, be a head coach this time next season? And what team do you think would be the best fit if he is a coach? Do I think he will this time next season? I'm going to loosely say yes. I still think that Honestly and truly, I think that the NBA still is blackballed him, and they just aren't going to give him, they aren't going to allow someone to give him another shot. Because if they were, he would have been a head coach by now, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he would have got the Lakers so, job, honestly. Yeah. So I'm going to loosely say yes. And the t- if he is a head coach, the team that I think will work best for him, I would say the Charlotte Hornets. Because I understand everyone would be ready to give him a team with a lot of veterans and things of that nature. I don't think that's the best, that would be the best thing for him because he's going to need guys that are willing to listen to him. And I think the Hornets, they're a young team that has talent and they want, and I think they want to win, but I don't think that their head coach is able to, um, to get through their heads. And I think you have a guy like Mark Jackson where Everyone knows that before Steve Kerr took over, the Warriors were a great team under the tutelage of Mark Jackson. Yeah. And they're like the the running thing is, is like yes, Steve Kerr coached won championships with them, but like he didn't have to do any of the hard work. Mark he Jackson did it all. Yeah, he just benefited from a, from getting a really talented team. So I would say you have a guy. play the same position as Mark Jackson that could be under him. So I would say Charlotte. I could see Charlotte. I mean, of course, they're not exactly the same build as uh, the Warriors were when Mark Jackson was at the helm, but I could see that. Um, I agree with you. I think that if he was going to get a head coaching job, he would have got a head coaching job by now. Um, But... If I had to pick a team that I think would be a good fit, I would say Minnesota. Now, with the caveat of I think they do need to make some roster changes, like I think either Cat or Rudy is going to have to go. Um, I don't think that this – I think this one year, this experiment should only last a year. I don't – it's clear that the returns have not been the same. Sure, Cat's been hurt, and so I guess you could argue that, but I think they need to kind of blow it up. But I think they just need some leadership. I think that – that is a team with a lot of different personalities. And while their current head coach is doing an okay job of managing it, I think that Mark Jackson is a very well-respected guy among NFL, I mean NBA players. And I think that getting him on that team, I think he could kind of cut down on the goofiness and cut down on the shenanigans that so many of those players participate in and kind of get them to focus more on ball and focus more on the task at hand and help this really young team mature at a faster rate. So I think Minnesota overall would be a nice spot. But like I said, Cat or uh, – well, no, Cat wouldn't leave. It'd be Rudy, even though they just gave up a whole bunch to get him. But even still, that move would have to be made. 
But all right, let's go ahead and play this game of Believable or Buffoonery, starting with Doc Rivers, who, as we know, spent quite a bit of time in L.A., where he was the head coach of the Clippers, where in a recent interview, he admitted that he was not too sure about the Clippers' decision to trade Shai Gilgis Alexander in a package for Paul George. He said, the day we decided to make that move, I was in L.A. I was not sure, so sure about it, even though what we did was phenomenal, too. I kept thinking this kid's going to be special, and I'm really happy because he is a good kid. Now, for those of you who don't remember, the trade over while was the Clippers will receive Paul George while the Thunder got uh, Danilo Gallinari, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, four unprotected first-round picks, one first-round pick, and two pick swaps. So, believable or buffoonery, Doc Rivers genuinely did not want to trade Shai or let's be honest, do you think he's just biting on the success that Shy has had so far this year? Nah, I think it's believable that he didn't he genuinely didn't want to trade Shy because a lot of people don't remember um well like Shy was a good player when he was in LA for those like I think it was like two or three years. I think it was a and year, was year a and a half because he got traded I think after his uh second year or during his second year. Okay, yeah. But I do remember, like, when they made the playoffs, I think in his first year, and he got some PT, like, he performed really well for yeah. them. Um, so I, def I think it's believable that he, he might have kind of, like, had some hesitation around trading him, especially when you have a guy like Shy that's young. I mean, he's still young. And, like, granted, Paul George is Paul George, but, like, Shy has shown that when he's on the court for OKC, because I don't believe that Shy is always hurt. I think that OKC just tanks. Yeah, because they're in a forever rebuild. But when he's on the court, he affects winning. So I do think, I, I really genuinely do think that Doc might have regretted trading him. Yeah, felt that. I, um,. I'll say believable because even looking back, that was such a hefty trade. Like, I understand Paul George was coming off an amazing year with the Thunder, his one year there. But even still, I remember thinking they're giving up a lot, not even just because of Shy, but with all the first-round picks, etc. And so with that being said, I could see – and, of course, Paul George is great, but, I mean, you want to talk about injury concerns. I mean, you put him and Kawhi Leonard together who when they're healthy, they're great. But the problem is, when are they healthy enough to be on the court at the same time? And so I'm sure that could be also something that Doc was thinking about. And then, like you said, like with what they saw from Shy late in the season, he definitely has shown some flashes. And so I could believe that I could believe that Doc was feeling some type of way, but more so in the sense of they were giving up a whole lot to get Paul George. And even now, I think it's safe to say that they haven't gotten exactly what they wanted out of Paul George because when you get – Kawhi Leonard and Paul Jordan the same offseason. You're expecting a ring, and that has not happened. All right, moving on to uh, some more NBA history. We all know about the Kevin Durant signing with the Golden State Warriors, 73-9 team. They beat. They had a 3-1 lead on them in the Western Conference Finals. They blew it. Everyone called him Cupcake and a Snake for a very long time. But as of now, what, five Six years later, people have gotten over it. However, Evan Turner, former NBA player, is not one of those people. In a recent interview, uh, he said, it doesn't justify anything than winning rings. Y'all won a lot of championships, but it was lame AF. Also describing that it was unfair that the Warriors did bring in Kevin Durant with the talent that they already had. Let's be honest, life is not fair, but 
In a realistic standpoint, believable or buffoonery, the Warriors signing KD was wrong, quote unquote. Um, I mean, I think it's wrong depending on the context and the way you look at it. From a fan perspective, it's definitely wrong because, I mean, I still will say that it's a coward move for KD. So, yeah, okay, so you go to Golden State. But if you're a team or organization like Golden State, it's not a bad move. Like, you literally, you literally had the best team ever assembled, and you added at the time the best player in the NBA. And you still were able to keep your nu- your nucleus of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green at the top of their game. So, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say buffoonery. I'll, yeah, like you said, it depends who you ask. Like, if you're a Warriors fan or you are the Warriors, you play to win the game. You're playing to win championships, and what did they do? They got championships out of KD. That's precisely what they brought them in for. And so in that retrospect, no, nah, they did the right thing. But, I mean, yeah, from, like, a fan standpoint, it's not as fun because it's like you already know the Warriors going to win everything. And so that takes away some of the excitement for it. And I'm sure for NBA players it's also frustrating because, like, you can give your all – but after a while, you're going to get outmatched. And that's pretty much what happened going up against the Warriors. So I can totally understand why a lot of players felt that way. And I was still on the cupcake bandwagon because literally Kevin Durant could have went anywhere and he wouldn't have got this flag. But the fact of all teams you went to the Warriors, it's a bad look. So I totally understand where Evan Turner is coming from. But, I mean, it don't make a difference because at the end of the day it happened. And at this point, we all kind of just got to get over it because – we can't we can't change the past. All right, but we definitely can talk the present. And current star guard for the Sacramento Kings hyped up his teammate and said, for me, it's Jokic, Embiid, and Sabonis. Those are the top three centers in the NBA. Sabonis is his teammate. But, I mean, to be fair, Sabonis has been balling out as of late. So, believable or buffoonery, Demontis Sabonis has earned his spot as the third best center in the league. Most definitely. I mean... I can't think of any other center that's ahead of him outside of Jokic and Joel. Um, you could argue Cat, but I, I'm sorry, Cat. He no. I would take Sabonis over Carl Anthony Towns any day of the week. Yeah, and I mean, normally I would say Bam, but Bam's been kind of hit or miss this year. And I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to say center is a dying position, but we don't have as many stars at the center position as we used to. And so it really is kind of that always that argument of Jokic or Embiid, and then there's a third guy who kind of rears his head. And this year, it's Sabonis. So, yeah, I would say believable as well. All right, last question before we make our game picks and get out of here. Um, all right, so last one. In a recent interview, Patrick Beverly discussed his time with the Los Angeles Clippers and the disrespect that he felt towards them and said the Clippers went to the Western Conference Finals the only time they didn't go to with CP3, Blake, or Lob City. They went with me. He said Chris Paul was on the Clippers, then he left, and I came on the Clippers. The Clippers went to the Western Conference Finals the only time. He, he speaks facts, and he speaks truth. But, believable or buffoonery, Patrick Beverly deserves more credit as a Clippers great. Um, no. I mean, yeah, they went, but it's not like you were the best player on their team. Yeah. Yeah, 
I'm also in agreement because that's kind of like how he when he got to LA and was like LeBron and AD didn't make the playoffs I did so they playing with me but it's like you're not the reason why the Timberwolves made the playoffs last year but I mean I respect it sometimes delusion is what we need to get us through the day and it's safe to say that Patrick Beverly has a very high perception of himself and God bless him for it all right, let's make our game picks for tonight and get out of here. Starting with the Memphis Grizzlies heading to Orlando to face the Magic. I got Grizzlies. I got Grizz. Boston Celtics versus the Dallas Mavericks. That should be a fun one. I still got Celtics. I got Celtics. Utah Jazz versus the Houston Rockets. I'm going to go Rockets. I got Jazz. Los Angeles Clippers versus the Denver Nuggets. I got Nuggets. Nuggets. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net, our pizzaexportreport.net for exclusive sports content run by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, go Grizz. Go Titans. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there for now. Fair enough. And prayers up for DeMar Hamlin. Absolutely. It said the latest reports are that he's he's awake and he's shaking hands. And though he's not able to communicate verbally, he uh, he wrote and asked the doctor if the Bills had won the game. And apparently the doctor's response was, you won the game of life. So if that's not a heartwarming story, I don't know what is. They're probably going to try to make a movie about all this. Uh, but, yeah, all I got to say, Baltimore, let's handle our business. Lakers. Keep trying. Honestly, at this point, I don't, I don't know what else to say to y'all. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the national championship, ready for the playoffs. It's going to be a very fun time around the sports landscape. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.